one of the big things we found from talking to a bunch of people is that uh, a lot of people are looking for more simple analogies for things that uh, for the way the protocol works. Um, and so we're going to ask for like a lot of different ways that people analogize a lot of mechanisms um, and, and kind of walk through, you know, especially uh, post exploit, like the unripe stuff and, and different ways that we can uh, different frameworks we can use to better uh, get an idea and then at the end better articulate uh, exactly what's happening on the protocol because we feel like a lot of the issues uh, as far as uh, you know where there are holes in the funnel in like the traditional kind of marketing funnel in order to get more people into the bean ecosystem is around maybe the uh, perceived complexity right like I, I don't think I, it's actually all like you know it's, it's impossible to understand. I think it's just, uh, you know, there's a lot of perceived complexity. And so the goal here is for so that we as the scribe team can reduce all of those complexities so that we can go out there and kind of spread the gospel. Um, oh, uh, I will let Joey kick it off. Um, and then uh, we can kind of take it from there. Excuse me. Um... Yeah, so I mean, I guess as Ishan like just kind of touched on, um, one of our big things that we want to um, push, at least initially, and in kind of our um, the initial part of Beanstalk Farmers Twitter, um, and kind of like the educational entertainment side of that content is going to be really about analogizing a lot of the stuff. So, um, like we, I think we have everything kind of figured out um in terms of how to best analogize that but um personally where things got a little bit more confusing for me and um i think could be helpful just to have a little bit more back and forth is kind of um the recapitalization of being um the barn and um if that kind of is a completely separate mechanism that facilitates kind of um the sale of the fertilizer and all that like that is completely separate just focused on recapitalizing being recapitalizing losses and then um yeah kind of interested in at least um hearing in a little bit more detail like how what what the future for that might look like if Bean gets back to peg, how that might be expedited, like what kind of the focus is. If the focus, um, number one, is getting Bean back to $1, then we can get into some more details about um, converting the unripe three-curve LP tokens um, to do that and really trying to push that narrative. Um, but yeah, I, I guess like kind of first question is maybe a little bit more color on the separation of both the barn and getting bean back to one dollar and really kind of separating those two mechanisms and how we can kind of approach talking about that from the twitter i can take a first stab at explaining and anyone's welcome to jump in but uh from, from my perspective the barn is a totally separate mechanism from the rest of beanstalk obviously it wasn't only necessary after beanstalk was exploited and because beans derive their value entirely from the non-bean value trading against beans in liquidity pools. When bean stock was exploited, uh, there was $77 million worth of non-bean value that was stolen. And so that's why when someone purchases fertilizer, 
they have to pay for it in uh, non-beans. Uh, in, in the specific implementation of the barn, it's in USDC. And so there was 77 million fertilizer available at the beginning of the barn raise. There's maybe 17 or 18 million purchased since then. And the humidity or the interest rate on that fertilizer is now fixed. So one thing you might expect to happen in the case where beanstalk grows again is that it is unlikely that anyone purchases fertilizer until a significant amount of it is paid off. And that's because fertilizer holders are paid back uh, pro rata, essentially. So a third of all bean mints go to fertilizer. Fertilizer holders uh, are distributed evenly to fertilizer holders or sprout holders more so, which is uh, determines how many of the bean mints you get for your fertilizer. Could I? And go ahead. Sorry, yeah. Um, you said that people wouldn't be incentivized to purchase fertilizer until some of that, until a lot of that starts to get paid back, and there's kind of evidence that that will get paid back. How are those? Is is that not kind of a circular thing? How does how does that work with one another? Well, so say that there's a, there's a hundred sprouts that correspond to all, all outstanding fertilizer. Mm -hmm. Once once beanstalk part starts paying back those sprouts, say that there's only 10 outstanding sprouts anymore. That means every sprout holder is getting more of each new bean of each new bean mints every season. So the fewer sprouts there are, the more bean mints you get each season for holding fertilizer. So even if even if, even if the interest rate is 0.5% and now it's 20%, which is a little bit different, but theoretically it could be as low as possible and eventually at some point, you know, at at, at at maximum, once once all the sprouts are repaid, even if the interest rate is one percent, I can go buy fertilizer and earn all of the one third of new bean mints, no matter how low the interest rate is. I see. So yeah, so it's it's definitely like relying on the um, bean mints to start kind of ramping up to to then exactly. Yeah. Okay. And and the rationale was that yeah, the interest rate, you know, the ra the rationale behind it being twenty percent is that you know, it's kind of arbitrary. It could be any number. And so, and, you know, it can be relatively low because once all, once more and more of the sprouts are paid back, the incentive to buy the fertilizer goes up. One other thing you mentioned, like, what does it look like in practice once it starts being recapitalized is in addition to that process, when, whenever the bean price is above a dollar, you would expect some number of stock uh, silo members to convert their both beans to bean three curve LP and also um, unripe beans to unripe bean three curve LP. And because the number of fertilizer is based on the amount of non-bean value that beanstalk needs to recapitalize, as people convert from unripe beans to unripe bean three curve, the number of available fertilizer actually increases. Uh, I, I I want to um you know I I I I want to start a little bit higher level, um before we get into kind of maybe the the deeper mechanisms behind the barn raise, um you know I I I'm curious like and I I would love to hear kind of everybody from from guy all the way like through poops to silo chat as well is like you know how do you explain the mechanism to like like your mom or something right so like how do you eli five this to like the most basic audience because i, I want to hear everybody's different kind of frameworks and analogies and for each of the mechanisms 
so that we can kind of take these and also like Eli five it to like normie and retail audiences. When you kind of explain to somebody like, oh, okay, we're a credit backed, you know, algo stable, like, and people are like, you know, what does that even mean? Uh, you know, how do you kind of go about explaining to them, you know, the kind of process of, you know, minting, repeg, credit, all of that? I feel like I shouldn't start because everyone's heard me explain it a million times, but. <laughs> I'm thinking, I mean, one thing I typically start with is describing what the Federal Reserve does at a very high level and then explaining that Beanstalk is, you know, the on-chain deterministic transparent version of that, wherein like, yeah, the Fed, these, you know, a bunch of old guys get to decide when to mint new money. They all just also decide where it goes whenever, you know, they borrow dollars from the market in order to maintain price stability. And that's sort of how Beanstalk works. Except when, except when Beanstalk mints new beans, it is transparent and deterministic as to where they're distributed. Uh, you know, the interest rate is also autonomously adjusted those are some things i try to try to get at if you're talking about well like how do i explain it to my parents personally i'm very curious what mochi has to say about this not sure if you're near a mic or if you want to type this out but i feel like mochi's got like the best explainers on this stuff i'll, I'll go so the I think there's two separate things that need to be explained in order for people to understand the value proposition of Beanstalk. One is what creates a useful currency. And then two is how does Beanstalk create that useful currency? So in particular, uh, on the currency front, there's like a variety of different features that make a currency useful. Uh, in particular, would highlight censorship resistance, liquidity, and low volatility. And so I, I try to walk through like many examples on like what explaining why those things make a currency useful. And so for the, for the censorship resistance, uh, you know, like personally, I like to talk about a family anecdote uh, that three generations ago with the Holocaust, we had all of our wealth taken from us if, for, for those family members that were lucky enough to get out alive. And then uh, those that were lucky enough to get out alive ended up in Cuba and set up shop again and then uh, had their own businesses. And then Castro came to power and took everything again. So censorship resistant money and value is very important as a as an idea and you know relative uh, relevant anecdotes can really uh help convey that point in very succinct fashion uh when it comes to liquidity uh i think people tend to generally understand that idea that a more liquid money the more places people are willing to accept the money the lower the the slippage when you're trading with the money uh, all of those things are pretty intuitive. So typically just stating that the more people are using the money, uh, the more liquid it is, the more useful it is. 
Uh, people tend to understand that pretty naturally. And then on the volatility front, uh, the the thing that is most helpful, because there's like an open question as to whether or not a currency design should prioritize increasing in value, like uh, Bitcoin and Ether's current monetary policy are, or in maintaining a low volatility relative to some uh, value or benchmark. And the general, like the, the punchiest way to get that across is to take the example of if you're a business. And if you're a business and you need to borrow money, the question is, do you want to borrow your money in an asset that may 10x in price over the course of your loan? Or do you want to borrow money in uh, a currency that's likely to maintain a relatively stable value over the length of your loan? And the the answer for businesses is clearly the, the latter, because even if you get everything right in the former case, but uh, except for the value of the money, you will be un- likely unable to pay back the value of your loan if the denomination of your loan increased 10x. So for businesses and real economic activity that uh, require debt and loans, a low volatility money is uh, preferred for, for, for businesses. So that's like the one, two, three on demonstrating why there's a need for uh, censorship resistant, very liquid, low volatility money. Uh, and then only then can you really start to shift the conversation around to, well, how does Beanstalk actually facilitate that? And if you really want the explain like I'm five, you know, it's supply and demand. So the price is determined by the supply and demand for beans. And uh, if there is too much demand such that the price is above its peg, Beanstalk can very easily mint new money. And the harder case is when there is not enough demand or there's too much supply, how does Beanstalk decrease the supply and or increase demand to return the price to its peg? It does so by borrowing beans from the market. And so if you that 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 that's basically the simplest way to explain it, where if you assume that Beanstalk will be able to borrow beans from the market over time, then it should be able to lower the volatility of the price of, of of beans so that's like it isn't that short of an explanation at the end of the day I, i'm talking for at least a couple minutes but you can kind of condense each thing into bits by bits and that's like that's where the value proposition ultimately becomes clear i'm that, not sure if that was helpful no, that, that that's exactly i i want to i want to make the focus around Live fi- like I, I think the 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 censorship resistance, liquidity, low volatility. I think those are all incredibly important as far as narrative creation and and why we're doing what we're doing. And I think there's a lot of great opportunities there on kind of the go to market side. But uh, I I think I want to focus a little more of this conversation on the supply demand mechanism and how we're able to either like maintain peg or kind of repeg. Um, so I, I I definitely want to dig in a little more there, right? Um, so when you talk about mechanisms that allow us to, um, you know, like when you talk about the borrowing beans from the market, right? Can, can you kind of go a little bit deeper and give maybe some more analogies on how the different mechanisms, uh, you know, whether it's like, you know, the stock, the seeds, all of that, how those contribute to the uh, ability to kind of like, I guess, 
kind of decrease the price back down? In this case, it would be kind of bringing it back to peg. Well, there's like 80 layers to the mechanism. So maybe it's better to just start like at the highest levels and then we can go deeper. That's perfect. Because it's very layered at the end of the day. Um, the And I don't say that to, you know, make it uh, like it's hard to get to the bottom of. We can get to the bottom of all of it. It's just like to understand where the different incentives play in it. You know, it, it it's not so simple. So we'll, we'll try our best here. Um, and if others want to add here, please feel free. Don't want to just co-opt this. Uh, okay. So. I think to be not to not to <laughs> to you know dismiss the barn entirely. The barn is generally like a hopefully a one-time temporary thing that has been designed to flow as naturally into the normal mechanism as possible. And at least for understanding the system, we should probably put it to the side for now. So it's important that people understand the barn uh, and how it works, but it's not really core to the beanstalk mechanism. So beanstalk has two sides to the market. And I'm going to be talking a little bit on the fly here, trying to think of the metaphors. So apologies if this comes off a little bit uh, of a ramble. The two sides of the market are the silo and the field. The silo, you can think of as like the bank where people deposit value into the system. And then you can, the field is where Beanstalk actually borrows money. So in the field, Beanstalk is the borrower and there are lenders and anybody can lend beans to Beanstalk. So in the silo, anyone can become a depositor in the Beanstalk system, sort of like a bank. And in the field, uh, anyone can lend to Beanstalk, uh, which is sort of just like the 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 auctions that issue treasuries, for example, the US government, uh, when they borrow money, uh, the value of the US dollar is, you know, if you read on the, on a US dollar bill, it says backed by the credit of the US government. Uh, so the, what, what does that mean in practice? It means the ability for the government to issue debt and to borrow money on the market. So Beanstalk's place where it, uh, receives credit uh, in practice, uh, where it borrows money from the open market is the field. We can get into the field mechanism, but that's like the high level of the field. The silo, because it's the bank, is susceptible to bank runs. And when like Beanstalk as an issuer of a currency, when that as a system has a bank run, uh, or a DPEG, or whatever, however you want to think about it, in practice, uh, it is the combination of the incentives in the silo that are designed to limit the extent of the bank run as much as possible, and the field, which is designed to borrow money from the open market to decrease the supply and increase the demand for beans. Uh, because if you assume the system is at some sort of equilibrium, in order to lend beans to Beanstalk, people have to buy them. So they buy them, increases demand, they lend them to Beanstalk and Beanstalk burns them, that decreases supply. So it's the interplay between the silo and the field 
uh, and the incentives in the two that ultimately create the beanstalk system. But it's probably more helpful to, like, other than just understanding at the high level, there's this lending market that is like the fundamental driver of value to beans from a theoretical perspective. And then the the deposit the place to deposit which is like the practical place where uh the incentives play out at the micro level if that makes sense Um, not too many helpful metaphors there but that's the starting point that's the first layer that's uh, that's perfect this is like exactly what we're looking for it's like simple analogies that we can take and then run to the public and give them these analogies um, yeah, yeah, I, I, I want to keep going. Let, let's let's kind of dig in. Like, let's let's uh, let's do the next layer. Uh, yeah, I, I think would it be kind of stock and seeds, or would it kind of be? Yeah, I think so. So so when you de- the, the the when you deposit your uh, assets in the silo, you receive uh, really three things. You receive like a deposit slip, and then you receive stock and seeds associated with that deposit slip. And stock is the governance token. You can, I think, you know, the the name itself, just highlighting the play on words is probably enough. Like stock, stock, S-T-A-L-K, S-T-O-C-K, where what do you get if you're a stockholder? You get uh, upside in the company if it's equity in a business. Uh, you get dividends potentially, and you get voting rights potentially. So it's very intuitive that the stock entitles you to upside in the system in some capacity and voting rights. And seeds grow more stock. So what do the seeds yield? The seeds naturally grow stuff. What do they grow? They grow stock. So the, the next layer is like once you join the silo, what do you get? You get this deposit slip. You get your stock. Uh, and you get your seeds, which give you more stock. And the question then becomes, well, why do you get all of this stuff? And the 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 silo, again, it's, it's an imperfect analogy, but if you think about it as a bank, experiences bank runs. And the, the stock system where you get stock and seeds uh, related to the value of your deposit and the time over which the deposit has been left in the silo is designed to create opportunity cost for participating in the bank runs. So let's get a little bit deeper. When you deposit your assets in the silo, you receive stock and seeds based on the value denominated in beans of your deposit. And the it, when you withdraw those assets from the silo, you have to forfeit and burn all of your stock and all of your seeds associated with that deposit. So you cannot retain upside and voting rights in the system uh, unless you have uh, value currently deposited in the system. So the, the first idea there is that the people that actually hold the value in the system are the people that control the system and earn the upside of the system. So it's very direct. And from an incentive perspective, you receive more stock 
over time in a linear fashion from seeds. And when you combine these two rules that you need to forfeit the stock uh, and the seeds, but mainly the stock when you withdraw and you receive more stock over time from the seeds, it creates opportunity cost. And it, it specifically creates opportunity cost in the, in the form of the grown stock that you would have to forfeit when you withdraw your asset. So if you deposited your asset a year ago and now there's a bank run happening, you are faced with the question of, do you participate in the bank run or not? And the system creates the opportunity cost to participating in the, in the bank run in the form of all of the grown stock you've received during the year over which your asset was deposited in the silo. And so from an incentive perspective, let's think about if you're thinking about participating in the bank run, the question you have to answer is, you know, is it worth forfeiting all of this grown stock for the, I, I mean, there's really two cases. Either one, you think the system is actually going to explode, in which case you should obviously get out most likely, uh, or you think it's just a, a normal beanstalk bank run that at some point it will recover from. And then the question is, well, where is the bottom? Or what would be a, a, re, a potential re-entry point? So when it comes to potentially participating in the bank run to get out and then potentially get back in once the, once the knife has been caught, there's this opportunity cost in the form of grown stock where you have to ask yourself the question, is the benefit that I, I may get from selling now and then buying at a lower price better than the opportunity cost created by the stock? And if, if the answer to that is yes, then you probably should participate in the bank run from an expected value perspective. But again, Beanstalk is trying to limit the extent of the bank runs as much as possible. And so what this really does is it, it creates a time sensitivity to participating in the bank run. Where if you're going to participate in the bank run because you have this opportunity cost to, that you're going to realize, you are highly incentivized in addition to just the normal dynamics of a bank run to get out as early as possible. And so what happens in practice is the stock system creates a, a real stickiness around deposits, where if the depositors are going to leave the system, they leave very quickly. So the bank runs tend to be, uh, it, I mean, there's only been a couple in Beanstalk's history, but they tend to play themselves out relatively quickly in the grand scheme of things. Uh, and then the system is has found a new equilibrium, at which point then the field and even the convert mechanism, which we haven't even spoken about at all, can then start to uh, incentivize certain behavior to return the bean price to its peg. So I'm not sure if that was clear or you know uh, helpful. That was no, that was great. Um, I really did enjoy kind of the bank run discussion about that, um, and I think. I kind of want to ask a couple more things. Um, so the you said there like there's only been a couple. Those are kind of the quick-ish flash crashes where Bean goes off peg, where people are then deciding whether they want to remove their liquidity or not. Um, that happened like kind of 
Yeah, there was one at the end of 2021 and then the beginning of 2022. Is that are those the bank runs you're referring to? Yeah, so the first one happened in September of 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, then I think there was another one. Uh, yeah, end of 21. I'm trying to remember the exact timing because there was like the Thanksgiving 21, the system started to grow again. And then after that growth cycle, then there was another dip. Uh, yeah, there have been a couple. Uh, another mm-hmm. one was after the replant. There was a little bit of a pump and then a, an ensuing dump where it depegged temporarily. Yeah. Uh, there have been a couple. I think sometime in December through convert, the system generally repegged at one point. That might have been 2021 as well. So uh, when, yeah. So when these are kind of happening and um, there's kind of like fear about people that have supplied this liquidity in the silo, how... <laughs> Um, is it like, as you mentioned, there's, it's, there's kind of a decision to be made, whether it's going to be more valuable to pull your liquidity out at this discounted price or have the upside of future minted beans with, and like, and keep the stock that you've grown, um, so far, like, is there a specific like mathematic approach to that? Or is a lot of this kind of like scramble based, like people getting a lot of fear and just like, oh shit, like maybe it's more profitable to do this. Or is there, are, do you think people are actually like looking at the numbers and deciding based on that? Uh, it's hard to know what people are doing in practice. There is definitely, like if you, you can derive efficient prices for, most beanstalk assets if you if you make certain assumptions around uh participation in the silo and uh i mean you you can do pretty interesting modeling on this stuff uh unclear who has done any of that uh or is trading based off of it uh the i mean just to speak perfectly candidly we, when we were designing this, did not use any sort of formal modeling. Uh, and, you know, you could make an argument that, uh, you know, could have prevented the exploit. But on the other hand, because Beanstalk is fundamentally a... And, and I think that's this is not to dismiss the first point. Maybe if the system were totally formally defined, you know, something like oh, the convert change could have been noticed. But the concept is, from a design perspective, uh, the incentives that Beanstalk are creating are fundamentally like behavioral, right? So at the yeah. margin, you, you, can, you can run the equation for like, here's how much stock you would forfeit, and here is like the marginal like change in bean price between when you sell and when you buy back, you would need in order to break even or make money on the trade. And then you can run a simple calculation on, okay, like, is this a good, is this a good trade to do or not is the point. But the, the concept is from a, creating the incentives from Beanstalk's perspective, the actual numbers don't matter so much. Yeah. Because Beanstalk doesn't know the magnitude or the scale uh, of the situation it's going to be dealing with, particularly in its early stages where we don't have a lot of data. So it's like 
it, people may be trading off that stuff, but honestly don't know. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense um, that it is kind of an emphasis on the behavioral huh. um, mechanisms behind it, and that's kind of what drives it. It's more, um, it's more game theory than kind of like financial engineering, right? That's essentially like it's just all – it's just like can, can we create game theory in order to create the incentive mechanisms that we want? It's like financial engineering to create the game such that the incentives in the game are to create stability. Um, man, I, <laughs> I wish we could have had like two hours to do this. Um, uh, this, is, this is all great. I do – so, okay, one thing on this that I wanted to ask is like how do you see the parallels? I'm, I'm trying to think of uh, other ways that we can analogize it, and I think like uh, finding analogies through other protocols is helpful. Like um, – one, have you guys like looked deeply into like fracks and maybe like how that mechanism is like uh, kind of like uh, there's some similarities there? And two, like I think the the thing that fracks has done very successfully is like the creation of these like AMOs and like all the different things that they do to kind of uh, one create more use cases for fracks itself, and then two also create uh, you know more Fed like functions that actually are like profitable for the protocol. Um, have you guys thought about like what one like can, can can you maybe draw some like parallels to Frax and then two have you guys thought about doing like AMO type function and is that kind of maybe where the start point of Wells is going to be? Right. So a uh, couple things. One, at least on this end, can definitely run at least ninety minutes. So we don't need to cut this too short, and maybe can even go a little longer. Although I think the engineers may have to hop at some point. Um, Let's talk a little bit about Frax, and others can feel free to hop in. Um, Frax has a – I mean, do you want us to talk about where Frax is going because they're becoming fully collateralized again, or do you want to talk about, like, the fractional reserve Frax, or, like, what's the best way to, to, to give you guys what you want? Um, probably the former where where they're going um Correct you that. said yes let's go, with the, let's go with the latter right let's talk about like kind of the the kind of fractional reserve aspect and like how it kind of compares to systems. <laughs> yeah so the and, and it's worth noting that they are moving off of this fractional reserve model so let, let's get into a little bit they the frax model was to hold a treasury of USDC and then issue fracks against that USDC and then have a collateralization ratio that was protocol native that would fluctuate up and down, whereby the ratio of fracks that you could redeem fracks for USDC would fluctuate from one, zero to one. So if the ratio were one, when you would redeem fracs from the protocol, you would receive one USDC for each fracs. But if the ratio were 0.9, you would receive 0.9 USDC and 0.1 USDC worth of FXS, the fracs governance token. And the, 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 the way to think about such a model is that the FXS token is like the equity token in the protocol. So the protocol through these AMOs uh, is making money and 
the and potentially through other ways of making money. And the FXS token is the token that should accrue value in some capacity if the if the system is growing and making money. And so the the issue with this played out in the Terra Luna collapse, where it became clear that if there is equity, uh, which is based on revenue in the future, uh, accruing to some asset, that during a bank run, the bid for that asset goes to zero because there is no native anti-bank run element to a fungible token like FXS or like Luna. And again, you have to like, let's now compare that model where the there's a value that can be redeemed uh, in USDC and then some value that can be redeemed in FXS uh, according to some protocol native rate that is hard set by the protocol with the way Beanstalk works. And it's, you know, I'll try to try to keep it succinct, but there's a lot of really key differences. The first big one, is that Beanstalk doesn't have collateral. So whereas Frax was holding protocol-level USDC as collateral for the Frax that it's issued, Beanstalk holds no collateral whatsoever. Now, you could make an argument that the collateralization ratio of Frax maps somewhat to the liquidity-to-supply ratio of Beanstalk, where it, you know there's some rate of liquidity against the bean supply such that you can work out how much value is trading against beans. But unlike uh, Frax, where the USDC can actually be redeemed for Frax and the supply of Frax thereby decrease, beans can only be sold into the liquidity. The supply of beans cannot be decrease through a redemption against collateral, the value of beans can only be realized by selling the beans against liquidity. So the collateral versus liquidity dynamic is very important. The probably next uh, important thing here is that the collateralization ratio is set by frax, whereas the liquidity to supply ratio of beanstalk is set by the market. So there is no there is no way within Beanstalk to hard code the liquidity to supply ratio or to guarantee or try to guarantee the redemption value of a bean. Whereas Frax is sort of creating a floor price in the redemption value of Frax in the in the the USDC that it, the protocol holds. Now, another thing is that Frax uh is if it's a hundred percent collateralized, then it's just a wrapper for USDC. And you really should expect to redeem each frax for each USDC or for one USDC. Whereas in Beanstalk, uh at least uh, in the current AMM designs, uh the maximum liquidity to supply ratio is a hundred percent. And that liquidity is again not collateral. It's not owned by the protocol. And therefore, if people are selling their beans against that liquidity, they may be realizing value, but in practice, they're not uh, 
they're not redeeming for collateral. So the system can never make everyone whole, if that makes sense. Uh, whereas Frax, if it's 100% collateralized, can wind down uh, and make everyone whole. Beanstalk doesn't have a way to wind down the entire bean supply to zero and you know give everyone or make sure that everyone gets a dollar of value for each bean. So there's like fundamental trade-offs when you're using beans, uh, which are not collateralized, as opposed to using fracks, which is collateralized. Now the the benefit is that the and maybe before we talk about it, go ahead, Ishan. Go ahead. I saw you unmute. Sorry, you're good. Keep going. The so the there's a couple more maybe just things to juxtapose first. So the equity versus credit thing, and this is a big one. Um, if you guys are interested in the equity versus credit, uh, we Publius uh, right after Terra collapsed did a pretty lengthy podcast. Uh, I don't know where it is exactly, but I'm sure it's somewhere uh, on the like the dynamics around equity and how that facilitated the bank run and how the the stock is different. Uh, there will probably be some overlap with what we talked about today, but uh, it really gets in the weeds. But the maybe just to answer it explicitly uh, or succinctly, the equity doesn't scale to infinity. Credit potentially does scale to infinity. So what that means is that if, let's take Microsoft. If Microsoft issued a stablecoin where that stablecoin were redeemable for Microsoft stock, uh, Microsoft, you know, maybe it could issue millions or even billions of stablecoins and be relatively okay because of how massive the demand is for their equity. But the equity doesn't scale as a backing like FXS or, or Luna, just like Microsoft stock doesn't scale to trillions of dollars of value as collateral. Because if there are trillions of dollars of Microsoft bucks that can each be redeemed for uh, Microsoft stock, when the redemptions actually take place, uh, Microsoft stock is a fungible asset. And so even if you want the Microsoft stock, if you recognize that there's a bank run happening imminently, you are incentivized to wait to buy the Microsoft stock until the bank run ends. And this applies to Beanstalk just as well as it does to uh, a Microsoft stablecoin or Frax or Terra. But the, the, the difference is that because the equity is fungible, uh, you, you cannot really get around the bank run. And in particular, what it means to get around the bank run you can never make it like economically practical behavior to uh, catch the knife, the falling knife of the bank run. And it's also really hard to make it economically practical behavior not to participate in the bank run. So it's really twofold. It's the, the bank run participation, which we've already talked a little bit about um, in the stock system, uh, which... I mean, we can talk about how like Frax doesn't doesn't really have anything like that, um, or 
then you have the field where the system is trying to borrow from the market and the debt in pods, which we haven't really talked about, is non-fungible. So one of the big, I mean, this is another tangent. I don't know if you want me to go down this rabbit hole, but uh, one of the big problems with all the other attempts at algo stables to date that are debt-based or credit-based in some capacity is that they had fungible debt. And so you still have these same dynamics around catching the knife that you do uh, with an equity-based system per se. So it's not just the equity credit uh, dynamic. Uh, I guess to wrap up the credit point, it is that credit does scale to infinity. So credit is a network effect where if you have uh, more, the basic idea is that the more that Beanstalk pays back, the more that historically Beanstalk builds a track record of paying back uh, its debts, uh, the more willing people will be in the future to lend to the system. And that is a positive feedback loop that in theory can scale infinitely uh, such that the more Beanstalk pays back its debt, the more credit worthy it is. And the more credit worthy it is, the more the market should be willing to lend to the system. Now, obviously in practice, there are some limitations to this whereby the most that Beanstalk can borrow from the system can, since it, from the market, since it can only borrow beans is technically limited to the bean supply. But these are edge cases that don't really apply to like a stable coin model because uh, in the scenario where there was like demand to lend all of the beans to Beanstalk, uh, it's sort of like you, you, you wouldn't really expect the system to ever end up in a case like that. We can get into the weeds on why, but then it's like probably not helpful for this discussion. So uh, sorry for the long-winded answers here, guys. Hopefully, you know, if I'm getting off track, you'll, you'll steer us back in the right direction. No, that's helpful. Um, Ishan, if you wanted to, uh, if you had something else to address, I was going to uh, potentially. I, yeah, I, I have to hop at the 30, but but I think Joey and and, and uh, I think maybe Rob are, are going to hang back and ask some more questions. But uh, one thing I, I really wanted to hit that I definitely want to know is like, um, uh, okay, can, can you give us the, uh, the Eli 5 on Wells? Um, because uh, that's kind of the first thing coming up and we definitely want to start teasing that and all the different things that are going to come so one give me the eli five on wells and then two give me like the big impacts for the ecosystem that are going to come out of it so the eli five for wells is uh a totally composable dex such that you can piece together a pricing function uh and an oracle uh and the, like, if you think about how, I mean, that's like, yeah, we'll try to do the Eli 5 here. Uniswap has a cookie cutter pricing function and Oracle that is built together. And it's not very composable. Wells basically uh, makes the two distinct such that you can pick and choose which Oracle you want. and. Uh, which pricing function you want. The Wells will deploy with a uh, basic Uniswap constant product pricing function, but in theory, anyone can implement their own pricing function and then plug that into the architecture. Now, the the main reason, the, the, I mean, the biggest benefit from all of this 
is a multi-block MEV resistant uh, Oracle. So that's like the big contribution to uh, DeFi uh, in the EVM as it currently exists, which is post-merge, there are all these opportunities for multi-block MEV and none of the on-chain Oracles are resistant to it at the moment. And so this, uh, the pump, uh, which is the Oracle component of the well, uh, that the pump is ultimately the uh, the Oracle that provides the ability for MEV, uh, multi-block MEV resistance. And when it comes to the impact on the ecosystem, the the wells launch should facilitate the creation of a bean ETH pool uh, that can be whitelisted for the silo, for the de- deposit in the silo. Uh, to start, that'll be like the, the first use of a well, most likely. But thereafter, there can be uh, pretty much easier than in the past, the deployment of additional wells where beans are trading against other assets that can be much more easily integrated into Beanstalk. So if you look at, if you've been paying attention to development of Beanstalk since it was originally deployed, one of the trickiest parts of development has been DEX integrations, uh, mainly because of these Oracle issues. And so this concept of a plug and play uh, Oracle solution that can be paired with a constant product uh, or other pricing function uh, is pretty powerful when it comes to scaling Beanstalk liquidity going forward. Okay. Yeah, that, yeah, very helpful there. Um, yeah, I think maybe I- one other detail. Um, there's not going to be any sort of fee uh, native to the wells uh, in the basic implementation. And so what that means is that if you look at, like at the margin, the the incentives to create price stability for Bean, uh, if there is, let's say, a four basis point uh, fee, like in the curve pool, uh, in practice, if you're buying beans for more than uh, 0.9996, then you're paying more than a dollar for a bean. And so similarly, if you're selling a bean for less than 1.004, 04, 04, um, you're you're selling your beans for less than a dollar after the fee. And so this fee creates a buffer around peg maintenance of the size of the fee on both sides. So the the fact that bean liquidity should now start to trade in DEXs where there's no fee should lead to an even tighter peg in the grand scheme of things. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Um, okay, yeah, that's uh, yeah. I think I think that gives us. Um, I I I think I remember you mentioning that um, the white paper for Wells is, um, kind of relatively close to complete. So I I think Wells right now we have is like uh, in May. I want to say right. Um, I don't know the status on the white paper. Uh, but it, yeah, I think the status for the deployment of Wells should be in. I, Guy will have like the latest on the dates, but yeah, sounds right. Okay. Like late May. At this point. That uh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, we yeah we definitely want to start like kind of teasing that stuff. You know, I think everybody gets excited about what's on the roadmap. I think like communicating that and and kind of the vision. 
um, is is definitely going to be helpful. Um, yeah, that's a yeah. Th- this is definitely helpful. I mean, I, I I think like maybe sometime over the next week or two, I think we'll want to do like another one of these. Uh, but I I think uh, you know I, I, yeah, Joey, feel free to hop in. I I think that's most of what I had. Yeah, awesome. Um, I. The well stuff is cool. I definitely like I'm looking forward to reading, learning a little bit more about that Oracle. But I do kind of want to go back to a little bit more of the credit stuff we were talking about with Frax. Um, and one thing, Publius, I would love to hear you kind of talk about this. And I think it kind of um, would tie in well to that last conversation. would love to just kind of maybe hear your rambling um, and then also poking holes in what I'm about to say. But um, so in terms of like if like thinking about uh eth proof of work to prove stake um and forking a chain could we kind of envision i i couldn't find i was trying to look and see what the bean proof of work price is but i'm guessing it's uh much farther off of the 0.92 ish that bean is on eth proof of stake um so i'm curious like in this situation of forking a protocol forking a blockchain um and essentially doubling the supply of being doubling the money on the market is the reason that that money would not be valuable due to the fact that people are not placing value on that because in theory with the beanstalk code base being sound having the history of repayments having the history of all of the credit that it has um, facilitated and everything like that, people would be able to kind of derive confidence in the ability for Bean to hold peg, regardless of if it's on a brand new chain or not, if it has that history. Um, the Bean that they've, their, their new forked Bean is essentially the same value based on that. But because there is a lot of faith within this, people immediately perceive it as valueless. Um, I don't know if there's either more details or less details or just something, but would love to kind of hear maybe your take on that and happy to, I guess, provide a little bit more of my thinking if it's not clear as well. This is a fabulous question. And one of the most exciting things about working on something like Beanstalk is we don't know the answers to a lot of these questions because they are fundamentally behavioral, right? This, mm-hmm. you're, you're asking like, how will people react what will people's beliefs to be in such a circumstance? Now, the proof of work, proof of stake, ETH split around the merge was probably not the best data point for something like this because the value of beans, while it does derive socially in theory, it also does derive practically from the liquidity that it trades against. And the, the fact of the matter is that currently bean has liquidity exclusively against three curve as it did, um, you know, as, as it has since replant basically. And therefore the proof of work version of Beanstalk, uh, or the, the version of Beanstalk running on the proof of work ETH chain is trading against assets that have no value at the moment. Yeah. Because the centralized issuers of the coins chose the proof of stake chain. And so the concept is you could make an argument that that version of Beanstalk is in like the exact same state as the version of Beanstalk post exploit, where it like has 
the state that it had before or, or the state can be recovered, but the liquidity that we're trading against the beans has disappeared. And so from that perspective, you know, I think it is worth diving a little bit deeper into like the theoretical here, what could happen. So let's say not the, you know, the liquidity against beans is all ether. And now yeah. you have a chain split. Uh, now the question is, well, you do now have like the state of Beanstalk has been replicated, but the liquidity that it is trading against has been split. And this is actually like one of the, when it comes to designing Beanstalk uh, and particularly considering like a, an environment where there may be multiple execution environments in which Beanstalk uh, trans related transactions or transactions that involve Beanstalk assets are being executed, how to best have the network effect from a Beanstalk that is, uh, you know, deployed or initially deployed on a single chain to have that network effect uh, traversed across other chains such that the answer to this question becomes even if that you know there's a new version of beanstalk on the the chain that's you know the the, the split or the fork um that that beanstalk itself can actually like handle such an underlying execution layer split and you know the the hope would be that beanstalk would in practice be like agnostic if that makes sense in an optimally designed beanstalk, it should be agnostic to the underlying chain split that's occurring, independent of like what the chain, the split chain says. So there may be a new version of beanstalk on the split chain, but the version of beanstalk on the old chain should be able to integrate, uh, you know, the 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 underlying network fork into its own like comprehension of its state. Now, what that looks like in practice is still uh, generally undefined. So, hence, we're speaking about it pretty ambiguously. Yeah. Um, but the the real point is that, like, an optimal handling of forks for Beanstalk is that if the underlying network forks, you hope that Beanstalk doesn't fork. But separately, you should have the ability to, like, fork Beanstalk and freely exit the Beanstalk system. So it's like there's the network underlying fork and then there's the beanstalk layer fork and the like the way that the on-chain governance system is ultimately re-implemented will have to factor in both of these, you know, layers of forks, if that makes sense. But currently very much undefined. Interesting. Okay. Um yeah, it it is a it's an interesting thought concept, like how that would what exactly would go down and yeah that makes sense with the uh the three curve pool like why that ended up the way it was uh does this have any relevance as well to extending beyond um just the ethereum layer one into layer twos or is that uh a little bit more simple of a of a process but i, I am curious kind of how that um maybe it's like just more of a simple technical answer kind of moving debt chain to chain um but how like being yeah would maybe like go extend to arbitrum and um beyond 
Well, there's two ways to slice it. Oh, go ahead. I no, sorry, I didn't. I didn't say anything. Sorry. There's two ways to slice it. One is that if you think about these roll-up environments as a separate execution environment, there's nothing to say that you can't like fork a beanstalk onto one of those uh, execution environments or deploy a new beanstalk on those execution environments. The that's a like that's a separate question from trying to integrate beanstalk into the other execution environments if that makes sense or have the the assets issued by a single beanstalk uh be used across multiple execution environments and then maybe settle back to a single uh layer like uh the ethereum mainnet but the 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 real goal would be to have like the beanstalk native assets be used on other in in other execution environments but on the one hand it's it's not so simple because beanstalk assets uh you have beans which are erc20 tokens but then basically everything else is either uh, an 1155 or doesn't adhere to a standard yet in particular deposits and pods don't adhere to a token standard and so currently like bridging custom assets onto other chains is not very simple. Bridging the ERC-20 token is very simple, but you don't actually accrue the yield on top of the beans. If you just move the beans over, you have to have them in the silo. And currently you can only deposit into the silo on mainnet. So there's there's a couple ways that this can potentially be fixed. The current fix is that uh, Root has developed an ERC-20 wrapper for silo deposits such that uh, that can be bridged over. And I think there actually is an implementation of root on Arbitrum at the moment. But the the the, the bigger point is that there is an open question as to the best way to get all of the Beanstalk assets freely moving on other execution environments. But probably step one, or almost certainly step one, and that will be implementing deposits and pods as 1155s and then uh hopefully being able to get them over to you know arbitrum or other rollups through uh you know a, a rollup native uh, bridge or something for 1155 tokens that would be the likely the simplest way to do it yeah interesting um yeah i mean i figured it was more technical than my know-how but uh was just curious because it semi pertained to that discussion um Okay, so, I mean, I know we're kind of just, I mean, I could talk about this for a while, but uh, I do want to be mindful of time. So one thing that I think is like really important for us to cover today is uh, conversions. And because that's obviously at least the clearest path in my eyes to getting Bean back to PEG. And I think that that's like the biggest thing that we're going to be focusing on as a team um, at Scribe. So um i'll just rattle off kind of a couple points and a couple questions and then take it however but um so from what i know the um like the the way to get one of the quickest ways to get bean back to peg is to convert the three curve lp back to bean this essentially buys bean um under a dollar at the current price that it's at with the non bean assets in the three curve pool um 
So that's constructive to getting the peg back to $1, which is great. And there's um, the certain amount, a very low amount of outstanding three curve LP. So um, a couple of thoughts that I have with this is like, one, are all unripe holders aware of this? Because if I know, and I know that the uh, seed stock distribution uh plays some incentive in that and i know that that's planning on being changed um i think sometime april or possibly may as well um but is that probably the only reason that people are holding out and not converting because they want to make sure that they continue to accrue their seeds in stock and then um in addition to this in terms of being peg um like not converting your three curve LP is kind of like not constructive to the peg. There's an action that you could take that would help bean get back to peg. Is there anything else in the beanstalk ecosystem where this is a case where people could take action A or B and either action A or B would help um, get bean back to peg or it wouldn't? And because that's, like I said, this is kind of like priority number one for us in my eyes. Um, and if it's not, if it shouldn't be, we'd love to hear some pushback. But I think that this is kind of most important to being able to get being use cases rolled out and everything. Um, it all kind of stems from this at $1. So, um, yeah, I mean, just would love to like kind of dive into the unripe conversions and everything that I touched on around that. And happy to um, go back over some points if I wasn't uh, clear enough. Okay, so first, I at least personally do want to push back on the, the importance of a dollar. Uh, okay. Recognize that in the grand scheme of things, like the market will much prefer beans to be at a dollar. But the idea that beans will always be at a dollar is not a notion that anyone should like subscribe to. Because like Beanstalk makes a fundamental trade-off where it accepts some downside volatility to get infinite scale, where because it's not going to have 100% collateral, you are almost guaranteed, guaranteed to have bank runs where there's DPEGs. And at this point, where we're at is not really in a bank run. It's in like a low, slow bleed where there's no demand coming in or, or more supply leaving than demand coming in, but nothing's really happening. And at this point in time, the system is raising the temperature, the interest rate to try to find a price point at which people will lend to the system. But generally, it's hanging out. Mm -hmm. And sorry, can I jump in really quick? Yeah, please. I yeah, I guess um, I yeah, I totally understand what what you're saying in regards to like bean is not something that people should come in. We're not, and we won't convey that message that people come in and. Beanstalk is this $1 stable coin and you should have faith in that. Like we're, we're going to make it clear that there, there are mechanisms that like that are in place that mean that there's going to be a supply and demand balance where it goes off peg and it goes above whatever. And that's like inherent. We get that. But like you said, I mean, this situation is, I feel like different than a deviation from peg. This is kind of a life away from peg and, like so, so yes yeah, so let uh, let me let me just make the point which is that beanstalk has an explicit trade-off to make here around liquidity to supply ratio and price like mm-hmm. the bank run is over right the bank run is over there's no bank run happening uh, at least yeah. at the moment it's a low slow bleed 
So Beanstalk from a, from a, let's say Beanstalk refracts and the, the, the protocol can just control the liquidity. Beanstalk could say, you know, convert all of the, the necessary three curve to, to beans such that it repegs. But in practice, if the system is making the explicit trade-off, now you actually like price in how much sell pressure you need to dry up the entire liquidity in the system, right? Because now, oh, there's $10 million of liquidity trading against beans. You just need to sell $10 million of beans and all the liquidity will go, go away. So that in practice would be Beanstalk committing to, you know, redeem or sell each, 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 uh, each bean from the market for a dollar. Now, the current way that this works is, is imperfect as well. Because Beanstalk has hard-coded a ratio of seeds for uh, bean three-curve deposits and for normal uh, deposits, both unripe uh, and regular. And, and when I say normal, I mean bean deposits. And the, the issue is that there is some difference in the grown stock incentive for which assets you deposit. And maybe to answer your first question around do people know what the incentive are, or like, do they just not know the opportunity? Are they holding out? This is, again, one of those things we don't know. And maybe you can go do a market survey and ask people in the Discord, people may be willing to answer. But like, we don't, like, and from the, from the perspective of Beanstalk, it's almost impossible to really know, right? So the, the plan, uh, as we are aware of it as of now, is that there will be a BIP to recast the seeds for the unripe assets to be at or very close to parity if the seeds per BDV are changed to be equal uh, at that point that would remove any economic incentive to hold uh or not any but the vast majority of economic incentive from a beanstalk perspective to hold uh deposited three curve bean three curve over deposited beans so you may get great market data at that point as to like what was the market knowledge was this an efficient market that people weren't moving on because of a pricing issue or is this a knowledge issue that people don't know what's out there and therefore we have a very inefficient market and we we, we just don't know at this point but the the point i was making before is that beanstalk from a system perspective has this trade-off around liquidity to supply ratio and length and duration of these longer deviations from pegs that are generally unrelated to bank runs. And so in, in, in the future, you could hope, and, and one might even expect, that a system would be designed to have Beanstalk naturally fluctuate the seed per BDV ratio for bean deposits and non-bean deposits such that there is some, uh, you know, uh, more of a protocol native incentive to repeg in these types of circumstances, if that makes sense. So it's like, uh, what you're really asking about is they're like, is there a way to communicate to people what's going on, that this is the, the DPEG right now is harmful to the social understanding of Beanstalk. And if everyone converted, that would help Beanstalk and be positive sum. There's this tragedy of the commons, and that's okay. Uh, 
but the point is like Beanstalk, what it fundamentally does, again, going back to the game theory conversation is the goal is to create rules that create a game such that the game theoretical optimal move is to contribute to peg maintenance. So changing the seed per BDV ratio is going to make it such that uh, likely the incentives to convert change enough at the margin to facilitate conversions to pet. Now, that may not be the case. That would then probably point to answering your first question in the negative, uh, that it's people, people don't know what's going on, uh, because at that point, the economics are probably such that you would expect convert activity, but that's, you know, that's the high and the low of it. What was the second question? I don't think I got to it. Yeah. Um, and really quick, I just want to recap and make sure that we're on the same page. So, um, kind of i like maybe i phrased it a little bit more poorly or i guess no i, I mean i phrased it the way i did and you responded the, to the way i phrased it but the message shouldn't be hey everyone like convert your lp token your unripe lps because that's going to bring bean back to peg like it is they're doing that because it is the most optimal the most economically optimal thing for them to do in order to hold on to their valuable seeds and stock uh, and once that has changed, then or to optimize their long-term return from the system, yeah. Because if they think it's going to grow in the future, they want more stock, so they want more seeds right now. So mm -hmm. you know that's where that's where the incentive lies. Yeah, all of it is based around people making decisions, making their own decisions around that. Not like here, yeah. Here's this path to one. Okay, um, cool. And then the second no, no, question, it, it is worth just, sorry, just to get into it a little bit more because this is this is like fabulous. Mm -hmm. the at the margin once people start to convert yes. in size there is sort of a, a a a point at which then other people start to convert as well because you to your point it's sort of like buying beans below peg and so there is still even within the silo participants even though they're not participating in the bank run by leaving there is still this marginal question of when to buy the beans, right? When, yes. Where is the bottom? Yeah. And so at some point, if someone declares, here's the bottom, big convert, that may then at the margin change people's understanding of the circumstances and the market and their willingness to convert. But it's mm -hmm. all fundamentally like a behavioral system that yeah. is, here's the bigger point, right? If this system grows based on people like not understanding their incentives yeah that is way worse yes than the system growing through an understanding of the incentives that's a great sentence um yeah wow okay that's phenomenal that i i was just writing down a couple of things because as you were speaking there a lot of stuff was clicking um for me but yeah okay cool and then the second part of that question is with these two sides of the peg uh, or sorry, with the two sides of like unripe conversion, not conversion, um, is there anything else that is kind of that has that like dual optionality? Um, yes, that contributes to peg or not. So the the big thing here is whether or not it requires new demand for beans, meaning money to flow into the system. If that makes sense. So if people are buying, if you think of beanstalk as like a closed loop then the only way to repeg, no money coming in, no money coming out, is convert. 
because then you're changing the liquidity to supply ratio and changing the price. But if it, you know, if you if you take away that assumption that no money's coming in, no money's coming out, then people can buy and deposit beans. They can add liquidity and deposit the liquidity, which is similar to buying and depositing beans, or they can buy and sow the beans. They can lend their beans to beanstalk. Um, I mean, more abs- that's like the, the base layer uh, ways to interact with the protocol to repeg it. Um, another way that would like be money flowing through the system, but it's a little harder to follow is to buy pods on the secondary market. So if you buy beans to buy pods, now the person that sold you the pods has beans. They may then sow the beans, uh, deposit the beans, or sell the beans, in which case, you know, in every case but the selling of the beans, there's a net increase in demand for beans. So the idea is that people buying debt from Beanstalk or depositing new value in the silo, those would also lead to, you know, change in the demand for beans such that the price would probably go up. Uh, but the that that would require new money to come in. Whereas if no new money is coming in, then conversions are the only way to repeg the system. And do just want to sort of highlight or use this as an opportunity to highlight because in this context, it becomes so like apparent how meaningful convert is that convert was not a part of Beanstalk originally. And convert was only added in like December. Uh, five months after Beanstalk was deployed. So it's worth saying, like, this is very much an experiment. And, you know, what what mechanisms may be implemented in the future? Again, like talking about the balancing of the liquidity to supply ratio and the length of these DPEGs. Yeah, the, the, the you know, it can be made much better and it can be made much worse. But uh, the convert addition has been something that probably fits both bills, right? Because it, it repegged the system in December led to much tighter peg maintenance thereafter, but was also the thing that led to the dramatic increase in liquidity to supply ratio that caused, uh, facilitated the, the flash loan exploit in April. So all of these modifications to the system, you know, are, are, are come, with, come with potential benefits and come with a lot of potential risks. So uh, mm-hmm. they just all need to be really thought through in practice. But at the same time, it's like, you know, the, these are the, you know, these are the things that at the margin will make Beanstalk either like the an issuer of amazing new money or not so great. Yeah. Cool. Um, I guess in terms of like the pod part of that discussion, um, is so. I mean, obviously the the pod line is quite massive right now. Has it? Is there's no histor is there a way to historically look at the, the pod line? Um Yeah, I'm sure on the website you can look at like the pod rate, which is the ratio of beans to uh to pods and uh, look at like the, the historical there. Yes. Um the system is relatively indebted right now, um in the grand scheme of things, but uh has has been in similar spots before. Uh, would also, I mean, the, there's a lot to be said about the, the pods. Um, currently, pods don't expire. 
And mm-hmm. that's one of like the fundamental uh, value propositions that Beanstalk makes as a borrower that it, 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 it will, you know, your debt doesn't expire. It won't default on the debt. Uh, you just don't know when you're going to get paid back. And so as a, as a lender, you know your rate of return. You can calculate explicitly the bean supply at which point you will get paid back. And then what you have to do is discount from there the like time over which or the likelihood over which you expect those to reach that bean supply. And so currently there's like, I think an implied valuation on bean stock of like 1.8 billion or something if you're lending to Beanstalk at the end of the pod line now. And so the, you know, on the one hand, it's a massive amount of pods, hundreds of millions of pods. But on the other hand, if you ask, well, can Beanstalk grow to 2 billion beans? That seems very reasonable. And then you say, well, what is the time horizon over which, uh, over which Beanstalk may grow to 2 billion beans? That's a little bit harder to estimate, but it's, it's you know, Beanstalk is either going to fail in the next decade and never get to 2 billion beans or get to 2 billion beans, you know, probably in the next couple of years if we're just trying to take a best guess. And so it's years, not decades, certainly. And then you, you try to analyze, well, what is the return Beanstalk is willing to offer for lending to the protocol and getting in line? on this call option of 2 million bean supply, let's call it. And it's offering, you know, an 80X or a 90X. I don't know what the, the temperature is right now, but a 90X return. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. well, if you say, well, there's a 1.3% chance or higher that uh, one point, yeah, 1.25, 1. 1.2% 1. 1. chance uh, that, that bean stock reaches 2 billion bean supply in the next couple of years, you do a, you know, uh, your analysis on that math, it's like, huh, all right, interesting. Now the, the scarier question becomes, well, how many pods will Beanstalk have to issue to get there, right? So it's like the, the runaway death spiral comes from, well, Beanstalk is paying 100x uh, on, a, you know, right now it's a, or even a 90x, right now it's like 1.2 uh, million beans below peg. If it's mm-hmm. going to issue over a hundred million pods, now you, you know you go from what is it like a one point eight billion valuation to now a two billion bean valuation. How many of those can Beanstalk handle? If that makes sense. So there's an open question as to how much debt is too much debt. How much debt? Where if Beanstalk issues, you know, another billion pods and only grows another thirty million beans in the meantime, or doesn't grow at all. Uh, is that sustainable, right? So there are open questions as to how, whether or not, you know, to have downward temperature reflexivity where once Beanstalk repegs, the interest rate it's willing to pay to lenders resets dramatically um, mm-hmm. or resets somewhat. There's also an open question as to whether to put some sort of like uh, decay on the redemption value of pods over time such that the debt does go to zero uh, over time, but uh, but that would like fundamentally change the incentives around uh, you know uh, lending to Beanstalk and the 
calculation of the risk reward for sowing. And so it's like some of these are open questions that Beanstalk may experiment with. Some of these are questions that Beanstalk uh, may not experiment with because it's too risky. And then you may have a fork that says, hey, but we, you know, a group says, hey, we think this really needs to happen in order for Beanstalk to fulfill, you know, its potential. And then you may have a disagreement in the community on what to do. So these are, we're fortunately, uh, we're still at the point where there's enough low hanging fruit that uh, for the most part, people agree on. uh, And there's a lot to agree on relative to what there is to disagree on. But you can imagine getting Beanstalk getting to a point where it is pretty damn efficient. And at the margin, it's like, well, would it be more efficient under this version or more efficient under that version? And the answer from a theoretical perspective will really be based on the like assumptions you make on human behavior that are interacting in the system, right? So it's not, it's very unclear. I mean, and then you get into like, well, the assumptions you make may be wrong, even if your logic is right. And like the, like the, because it's a behavioral system, the state of Beanstalk, like could be the same thing, but the participants are different and then you'll have different outcomes. Yeah, it's Mm -hmm. all, this is a very open-ended, you know, (laughs) experiment if you even want to give it the rigor of an experiment. Definitely. Yeah, no, that's all helpful commentary. Um, yeah, for some reason, I don't know why I I didn't really understand the pod rate, um, even though that's a super helpful and simple thing to look at. And yeah, I mean, so that drastically increased at the barn raise or after the exploit and then kind of been hovering and slowly drifting down since then. So that's interesting. I'll yeah, because the bean supply was cut, right? The bean, there was like a hundred and... Yeah, uh, well, 107 million beans uh, or something before the exploit. And then, you know, now there's, I don't know, 30 something million beans and mm-hmm. similar amount of pods. Yeah. Hey, guys, at least myself and Chad have to hop over to uh, an end call. But, you know, don't let me stop you guys. And, you know, if there's a if you're itching for more, I feel like we can can set up another one of these next week or so. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. Thanks. Sir. Yeah, thanks, guy appreciate it um but yeah i mean i'm i think i'm pretty good on my questions honestly nothing else is coming to mind um for the time being uh but yeah i mean this was all super helpful i think it definitely what you mentioned and what i touched on like making sure that people know kind of what the system how the system operates before they enter into the system uh, making sure that people who are participating are well educated on like what the different functions are is super important. That's all kind of like based around our education that we're going to be pushing forward, analogizing different parts of Beanstalk and everything. So, um, yeah, I mean, this was all really helpful commentary. You answered a lot of the questions that I have and gave me a little bit more to go off of for sure. Um, so, yeah, I guess, um, is there like, any sort of um, ranking you would apply and my based on what I know, I believe I'm just asking this because I had it in my notes, but now I think my idea on this has kind of changed. Um, And the answer would be kind of no. And just education is the number one priority, but like, is there a difference in what, what would be kind of preferred in terms of pushing 
education and trying to incentivize people to both recapitalize losses and um, getting pe- getting being back to one dollar. And obviously, getting being back to one dollar is going to be um, emphasizing the points that we discussed about now the um, seed and stock issuance is changing for three curve and kind of just explaining those mechanisms in a better way, um, but pushing that is there is those are kind of let's do both let's just educate and whatever happens happens um but yeah curious about that so a couple things one with the recapitalization the economics are such that or they were designed such that you expected high participation before the replant and maybe immediately thereafter but almost none after the interest rate started to come down which is exactly what happened so now that the interest rate is at its floor you don't really expect until the like the marginal APY for FERT holders to for new FERT holders getting 20% yeah. to approach that like no one's going to recapitalize further. And so the, the point is until Beanstalk is much larger, no one's buying more FERT. Is, so, that, is that kind of the discussion? I don't know if you were on, I think you were when Guy mentioned um, that like once kind of some of the sprouts get repaid out, yeah, that's uh, another and, like angle of saying the same thing, which is that yeah. like until until Beanstalk has grown to pay back a lot of sprouts, it's not yeah. gonna be okay. economically reasonable to buy more. Mm-hmm. So, th- like the current fertilizer has a market price, but the current fertilizer is almost all paying like five hundred percent, whereas the new fertilizer is paying twenty percent. So no one's gonna buy the twenty percent until the five hundred percent has been almost all paid back. Um, so the recap is going to take a long time, uh, or at least until Beanstalk has grown significantly from here. So then this gets to your larger question of like, is education the most important? Is the goal to grow Beanstalk as soon as possible? Is the goal to repeg Beanstalk as soon as possible? Uh, I think a lot of people disagree on this. So don't take this as like, uh, whereas the other stuff we've been explaining, you know, we, we stand behind, this is just our opinion. Um, it is, it is highly, highly, I mean, for me, it's very hard to believe that if people understand what is going on here, that will not be enough to get the system repegged, to get it growing again, and to get it chugging along, both within the DeFi and crypto community to be more widely acknowledged as existing and being doing meaningful things and for users that may want to participate in the system in some capacity from from this angle like if we look at what else is happening in the crypto space and in particular in DeFi, we think this is some of the most exciting development happening particularly in the evm right now this is state of the wells state of the art evm tech uh the, the Beanstalk story, it's like a really compelling open discussion about money that no one is really participating in. Everyone's all on board this hard money narrative. ETH is hard money. Bitcoin is hard money. No one wants to talk about stable money. But everyone knows, everyone knows stable money is really important. And this community and this DAO, we're the only people working on it at this point. So from that perspective, you know, we've, we've, I think collectively done a pretty bad job uh, of getting 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 included in the discussion 
and forcing Beanstalk's way into the discussion. Uh, and I think just getting getting the quality and the integrity of the work that is being done on people's radar and educating them about it, that's probably... I, I, I pray that that is enough, you know? Like, if that's not enough, you know, that sucks. But it's like, what more can you do? And I think in the current regulatory environment, you don't want to do more than that either, separate from, like, maybe you get there faster. It's like, ah, what's the point? Mm-hmm. Awesome. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I completely agree. I think, like, just my time in um, the, my obviously short time um, in participating in the Discord and just seeing kind of what everyone's talking about and updates and things of that nature that are going on. Um, it's super exciting. And I, yeah, I mean, there's obviously like a ton of updates and it's this problem that's continuing to be iterated on and whatnot. So um, I completely agree. I think like getting that message out there and emphasizing like how it is this this problem that is continuing to be worked on and trying to be solved rather than here's the solution, um, but here's this problem, here's the current approach, here's how you can participate. Um, I agree. I think that's a great way to do it. So cool. I mean, all my questions are answered. Uh, I know Ishan's back in here. If you have anything you want to go over, but I'll send over um, like a full thing, Ishan, of kind of internal notes that I took. Um, But this was super helpful. Really enjoyed being able to pick your brain. Um, I mean, I personally have enough to go off of for a while um, in terms of like getting content out and getting things going, but definitely these will be helpful in the future. I'm sure that um, we can find time to be able to schedule these, but as obviously like wells and new things comes out, it'll definitely be needed, I'm guessing. Um, But yeah, again, thank you a ton for all the conversation and answers to the question and everything. Our pleasure. And like I said, you know, we can do this again next week if you guys would find it helpful. Yeah, um, we'll talk, Ishan. I, I don't know if you're um, in this or not, but we can figure out if if we do want more of that. I know that Madison had no to pressure. It's like it, it's like if it, you know, we don't want to waste time. We don't want to spend any time yeah. that doesn't need to be spent. But you guys are like coming in, you know, gung ho, and we we want to just be as much yeah. grease to those wheels as possible. So sure. you know, help us help you. Yeah, yeah, we'll coordinate with Guy. Um, like we'll, we'll we'll probably have like a you know we'll come back. We'll have a little internal chat about this, um, and then uh, and then if we and then and we'll talk internally, and then uh, you know what you guys can expect on Wednesday is we'll have a pretty good planning out of content over the next month, um, and that'll be kind of social, long form. We'll throw ideas out, so uh, we'll have a, a larger discussion about what content you guys can expect on Wednesday, um, and then if we still feel like we need more, then then we then I'll talk to Guy and we'll maybe schedule something again like this um, the following week. Um, but yeah, this should give us enough fodder to kind of put together the plan and finalize all the plans and, and all the content's gonna be going out on Wednesday, we can um, kind of plan that out. And then, uh, you know, from then you guys will see, you know, all the content start coming out and you'll see all the socials being run really efficiently, uh, you know, blog posts. You know, I think there's a big focus on educational content on the top half of this. Um, and so this definitely helps us in that. Um, so pumped about, uh, about, you know, things, uh, that are going to start getting kicked off and going. So, uh, yeah, appreciate everybody's time. And, and yeah, I know you guys are super busy with everything going on. Um, so it means a lot that you guys, uh, took the time to kind of walk us through everything. 
our, our pleasure. Really excited you guys have joined the joined the fold. I'm loving it. I'm I'm really enjoying it so far, and yeah, excited to keep going on this journey. Um, so yeah, thanks again, and we will potentially talk soon. Talk soon, everyone. All right. Bye.